0: Ooh. Mm-hmm. people. Welcome back to the second hour of Love, Babs, Love Talk. I am delighted this morning to have Steve Hamm as my guest. He's an author, journalist, and filmmaker and, you know, a regular guy about town. (laughs) He's one of the movers and shakers of Greater New Haven, and I'm delighted to talk to him about his book, The Pivot, Addressing Global Problems Through Local Action, and the, uh, the project that he is working on, bringing citizens together to work on issues of climate change and what we can do at the local level. Am I right about that, Steve?
1: That's absolutely right. Thank you so much. And is that France behind you? Is that Paris? Seen yes, in Paris? Yes.
0: It is. Very yeah. nice.
1: I've seen on Facebook that you love Paris.
0: I do. It's it's my spirit city.
1: <laughs> have you been back since COVID or or not? No,
0: I haven't been back since COVID and um I have I have a bunch of friends who are there now. Um and they and it's it's uh they they are happy to be there. So my plan is to get back sometime next year. Oh wonderful. So.
1: Yeah, well it's just traveling has just been so awful. It's, it's a nightmare. Difficult. Yeah, yeah, I know.
0: Yeah. So so how did you get interested in um global climate change and, and how does it work at the local level? Yeah. Tell me about your story about that.
1: Yeah. Well, um, so, you know, I've been a journalist and a documentary filmmaker for many decades. I won't say how many. And most of my writing has been focused either on information technology and business, kind of like the innovation economy, or on healthcare and medical science. I've, I've written some for, for Yale medicine and stuff like that. I, I've been kind of environmentally conscious, you know, Recycling, you know, wear, you know, drive a Prius, these, this kind of thing, ride my bike. But at the beginning of COVID, um, I, I got involved in a group uh, that was started up just then. And it was started up in response to COVID. And the group, um, I knew some of the people who were involved in it. I used to work at IBM and some of their top research innovators I'd worked closely with. And they were involved in this. And their idea was that COVID should be a wake-up call, that mm. we are not living in a sustainable way, uh, we humans, and, and, and we're not living in balance with nature. And they formed this group with the idea of, we, it, can, we can we bring together a global collaborative group of volunteers who can really kind of cross boundaries and bring ideas together that could be useful in dealing with, with climate change. It's And the idea, you know, we need to pivot, we're not sustainable. The clock is running out on our ability to really address climate change in a profound way. You know, with climate change, uh, after certain things happen, like some of the things that are happening now with um uh, you know the the glaciers melting and the polar ice cap melting, and you know, and the tundra melting. Once the global temperatures rise a certain amount, then that causes even more. It's a compounding thing. It's it's like it's a mixed metaphor, but it's like a snowball going downhill. Mm-hmm. But it's not a snowball; it's a fireball, right? And, uh, so we got to act and we got to act now. And I got involved in that bunch as a, an embedded journalist, you know, like journalists go into like warfare and stuff like that with the troops. Well, this was me embedded with this bunch of scientists and social scientists. And, uh, I followed the course and I thought it was a, it was a great, it was a great journey they were on. And it wasn't just a story of what they were doing, but it was a story of a, of, a of a characteristic of humans, that in times of crisis, we have a tendency to pull together and forget our differences and try to do, make things better. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is really a portrait of human nature and social behavior. Now, of course, during COVID, unfortunately, about half of the people in the United States decided rather than pulling together to try to solve the problem they would ignore it or scream or shout and, and things like that so i think that's one of the reasons why we have had such a difficult time with covid
0: were you surprised at covid because you know harry and i talk about this all the time in the movies yeah. when there's the we you know when there's some kind of breakout or you know the yeah. world is coming to an end people rally together yeah. and then we 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 rise to the occasion but covid <laughs> showed us not so much. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I think, you know, we have, a, we have a fractured society. And we have a society for the first time ever where people actually have different, they kind of choose their facts. You know, there used to be a difference of kind of, you're, you know, here are the facts. I have this philosophy, you have this philosophy. Now it's like somebody thinks they have their facts, somebody else has other facts. And, of course, that's not true. There, there's, there is only one truth. There are, you know, it's not, you can't, pick your, you can't pick your truth. Though, of course, people say, I have my truth. What they mean is, I have my opinion, I have my experience. But, but the fact of the matter is, you know, facts are facts. And I spend my life, you know, a journalist's job is to discover the truth, to pursue the facts and to present them, so...
0: So uh, what did you learn what did you learn in in writing this book and working with this group of people what did you what did you learn on this journey about where we are and what's at stake what did, what did you really what really said aha
1: <laughs> well it, it made me war, more aware of the of the real core issues about climate because i was an environmentalist but I didn't, and I and I knew that the scientists, climate scientists, had been working, and and you know there was a lot of data gathered. But it was not until I started reading some in-depth reports from the UN. There's an organization called IPCC, and we have we have actually some of the authors of it up here at Yale, Karen Cato, and some other people. And you know the the facts are there, and they put together a very Powerful argument for this is what's happening, this is why it's happening, this is how we have to change, and this is how quickly we have to change. And I uh, was sold on that. And, um, you know, and I think I mentioned before about the tundra, but there were some, there were some facts about uh, what's going on with the tundra. As the tundra melts,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it releases gases, which heat up the atmosphere, which of course melts more tundra and melts more polar ice cap and melts more glaciers and things like that. So, and, you know, this is sometimes people think, oh, global warming, climate change, this is something that's happening out in the globe somewhere. (laughs) Not here. But it is happening here. It's already happening here. And we especially, uh, people living on the sea as we do, and people living in the paths of hurricanes as we do, this place, our beloved town of New Haven, is particularly vulnerable. And in addition, you know, in our town, we have a lot of people who don't have a lot of resources. And those people are are the most vulnerable because drought, heat, flooding, uh, these things are coming. And we need to prepare for them, and we need to help our neighbors prepare for them so
0: so how do you, how do you home. give that how do you give that message, Steve, and not scare the crap out of people Cause that because i I get the sense that people can hear it, but then it frightens them and they get paralyzed with their fear about well i don't okay, I don't know what to do, like I don't know what to do with that information
1: yeah well, you don't want to. Scare people and paralyze them, and you don't want to. Like, there's been a lot of this blaming thing, you know. And I, and I try to avoid that because if you're pointing your finger of blame at somebody or an institution, uh, or an industry, uh, it, it makes them turn away or re, you know repel you and, and stuff like that. So I think how we tell the story and how we engage with people is very important. I think it's really important to know that locally, that there are things that we can do. Mm-hmm. And those things, while they can't solve the global climate problem, they can ease the impact on us and our neighbors, on we as a group. And there and there are lots of practical things, you know? And, um, you know, heat, let's just take one. Here we are in this, in the grip, of a hot spell and a drought, you know, the Mill River runs by my house here. I'm up by the park. The, the Mill River is not running. There's no water coming over that dam into the Mill River. Whoa. It's just getting lower and lower and lower. And on my way on my way, I, I almost every morning, I either walk up East Rock or I ride my bike up East Rock. And when I go down Livingston Street in the middle of this heat and a drought with no water running in the Mill River, what's happening along Livingston Street, those fancy houses? People are watering their lawns, right? Mm -hmm. Well, so there's a very practical thing you can do about climate change, stop watering your lawn, right? Uh, Number one, I think one of the, there are things that we kind of assume about life and kind of get used to. Oh, this is the way things is and the way they should be. So I think very gently, it's, it's really good to point out to people, you know, a lawn may look like nature, but in fact, it is nature destroyed. You know, it's green. There are plants there. You know, there's all those little grass things. But, in fact, it's, you know, with all the all the chemicals people put in their lawns, all the, the herbicides and pesticides, it's really kind of a chemical brew. Let's call it a chemical swamp. And it's not good for nature, and it's not good for humans, and you know. And sooner or later, we're going to get rid of these things called lawns.
0: Mm-hmm. So I see very- the movement afoot of yeah. people doing that. Yeah. What are your
1: trees? What are your plants? What, especially your native plants? Don't use chemicals. Help the help the the bees and the birds thrive, but get rid of that damn lawn.
0: So, so the group that you're working with is—is is this their mission? What is their mission?
1: Well, what the do they group, hope to do? Okay, so first off, before we leave the other topic, I know all I'm right, sorry. you got it too. I got it.
0: Thank you very By much. By the way,
1: I want to tell you, I deliver that to your porch. And, of course, I've seen your porch in Facebook posts, you know, videos, photographs. I think what you're doing there on your porch is magnificent. Thank you. You know, I think you, t- you, know, you, have your, you love Paris. There's that whole tradition, a Parisian tradition of the salon. Yes. <laughs> We're not talking about the beauty salon. We're talking about the thinking Salon, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. salon and the talking salon and then the, you know, bringing people together and having rich conversations. And you do that in a magnificent natural way.
0: Well, thank so, you, Steve Han.
1: So I love that about you.
0: Thank you very much. Next time you're around, pop by.
1: <laughs> I will. You know, I live very close to you. I live right over the hill. Yes. It's like, it's like we got, we got Newhallville, then we got all those fancy houses up on the hill, right? Mm-hmm. And then we come down to East Rock. There's some fancy houses here, but there are also people like me who live in apartments. Yet. <laughs> so I ride my bike all around town. I, I ride over the hill and I visit Doreen uh, Brubaker. Mm-hmm. You know her.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the, the native plant lady.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's Abrubaker. It's I'm sorry, I'm her name. But uh, she's uh, fantastic. And I go over there, I buy plants, and I visit her because she is part of this group uh, that I'm involved with. And this group is called Reimagining New Haven in the Era of Climate Change.
0: Yeah.
1: And basically, this, this book that I wrote and this group that I was with called Pivot Projects, a lot of the thinking at first was all about, oh, do, what are these global th- thoughts that we should do? And then, as time went on, people kept saying, well, you know, really the place that we have leverage, the humans and, and groups and neighbors have leverage, is in their own community. That's where we can have the most impact. So I started thinking about, you know, that subtitle came out of this, Addressing Global Problems Through Local Action. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I started thinking about, well, what can I do here? As a matter of fact, the first thing I did was I made a film, and a documentary called "A River Speaks."
0: Yes, it was about,
1: it was about the Mill River, and yes. the idea was, hey, let's think about this river that runs past our house or near us, our local river, and let's walk along the river, like maybe from the beginning to the end, or, or one section of it, and kind of learn about it and become reacquainted with it, and understand the impact that we have on it. You know, we love our rivers. But, you know, traditionally we don't treat them very well. You know, in New Haven, our rivers, all this industry that we've had for 300 years, you know, the Industrial Revolution, man, we used used our river for transportation, but also mainly for dumping stuff in. Yeah. So the Mill River is one of the most abused rivers in America. Uh But... So you got to learn about it. You got to think about it. So I made that film as kind of a an example of learning about the complex relationship between humans and nature. And what we So do you feel
0: we... like we're getting closer? Do you feel like that relationship is coming to some real understanding that we are interconnected or do you think we people are still disconnected from nature and and the practicalities of that?
1: I think we're still disconnected. I mean, there there are some programs. You know, New Haven public schools have had a bunch of uh, interesting, innovative curricula around the river and around the Sound. Sound School, obviously, but some of the other schools: Wilbur Cross, uh, Martinez School, the sixth common grade. ground. Yeah. High school. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. The um, so there's an effort to really help people understand the relationship between humans and nature. Uh, And I think in our town more than most, but there's a long way to go. I mean, even as simple as this, what can you use as a measure? Look at the trash around our town. You can't appreciate nature and throw trash. That's a signal that you don't, whoever throws the trash, doesn't understand, doesn't appreciate nature. And, uh, and I think you see so, too, way too much of it. You know, I'm, I'm in East Rock here. So much, people back up the car and throw the trash in, in the woods, you know. Ooh. So I think that's a signal that people don't get it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, our, our group started a couple months ago with the idea that, uh, while there are lots of environmental groups within government and also in, you know, non and stuff, uh, and there's lots of uh climate change attention there's not a lot of attention to the local impacts of climate change and that, that's what we have to raise awareness about because that's we, what we can really do something about right so uh either and by do something it's either adapt to it you know or make it mitigate it make it the impact less we have, and I'll tell you the, the impacts. I don't want to scare you, Babs. Mm.
0: Well, listen, this is what I know. <laughs> <laughs> all politics are local, so yeah. all climate change is local. Yeah, yeah. Because if you yeah. think about it globally, you're not going yeah. to act on it, yes. I don't yeah. think.
1: That's right. You just think, oh, that's too big and complex. That's, that's for government to deal with.
0: Yes. All right, <laughs> all right. So,
1: so locally we have the sea levels are rising. And they're expected to rise by 20 inches by 2050. And that makes a big 20 inches may not sound like much, but But that's a lot. Almost two feet and and a lot of places that are right on the shore. If you combine that with storm surges and hurricanes, and you know, if you have like a a trifecta, sea level rise, in comes a big hurricane with a with a tide and the tides are high, and then you got a bunch of rain up upstate coming down, you have major flooding and and major flooding in the Annex, major flooding in Morse Cove, major flooding in Fairhaven, and major flooding in Hill South. Mm -hmm. And also major flooding in Long Wharf. But people we don't have people living there, but all these other all these other places (laughs) people live. And so the water is thing one, you know, another aspect of water is like with the drought, uh, shortages of water, you know, do you have to cut back on what, you know, there will be cutting back on, on watering lawns and eventually there may be other cutbacks. I mean, you know, flushing toilets. I'm in California. We, we live there. My wife and I live there. My son, we lived there for 10 years. There are droughts out there where there are all sorts of things that we take for granted. You don't take for granted anymore. You know, flushing your toilet, you know. So uh, there are a lot of things that will happen with shortage of water. And uh, and then there's the heat. And, you know, uh, heat, a lot of, you know, middle class and, and wealthy people have a lot of air conditioning. They can afford it. It's, it's very expensive to, to buy these machines and to run them. A lot of people cannot afford it. They suffer. And as we get a higher average heat, but also more high heat days, uh, there's going to be more suffering. And it's not just suffering. It's suffering from the heat. It affects your ability to work and think. Sleep, right? Mm -hmm. And then for elderly and infants, the most vulnerable, it can actually have very... Unhealthy effects, like up to and including death. So these are really profound impacts. One more thing. What is New Haven known for since 1638? Immigrants. Immigrants. It's a place where immigrants come to, and immigrants' climate change is going to is going to create a lot of climate refugees so we have to be aware and that this is going to happen and that we'll have people who want to come here and we and New Haven is a welcoming place to the immigrant you know we have iris we have other programs there's going to be more pressure there's going to be more people so we have to anticipate this and be prepared for it so we have to be prepared for things. We have to see the future, the far future, but also see it's happening now. Prepare now. Start acting now. Now heat. We have this. You know, one of the most beautiful things about dealing with heat is trees. The canopy of trees mm-hmm. protects us. You know, some of these cities like New York. Some of these places would. You know, they have trees. Not not nearly as much trees. More concrete, so steel, all this kind of stuff. They're two, three degrees hotter than we are, right? Uh a city neighborhood, I'm sure I haven't seen the data, but I'm sure that some of our treed suburbs the treed neighborhoods, like East Rock where I live, we have all these huge trees around us.
0: I do too. Our, New yeah, Hullville's I think Newhallville, lots is and lots a, Newhallville is
1: lots of trees. New is another well treed area. Parts of Dixwell are not right. so good. And there are, there are other neighborhoods. I think, I think parts of Fairhaven don't have enough trees. But so that whole thing that URI does, the tree planting, they've planted 10,000 trees in however many years they've been operating. Well, we have to accelerate that. Some of the things we already have these wonderful programs, we have to accelerate them. How do we do that? You know, so these are, these are some of the questions. So our group wants to, uh, to raise awareness, engage, bring more and more people of all types together to, to understand and to, to work on this problem, and then to try to catalyze some changes. So we're, we're organizing an event. We, we call it Climathon. <laughs> and it's, that's borrowed from, there's an international group that comes out of Europe called Climate Kicks. And they have this global climathon thing where they help organize and they have information and they share ideas and stuff. So we're going to have a climathon, uh, hopefully October thirtieth. We want to have it. We'd like we want to have it in a neighborhood. Very much say this is a neighborhood thing, right? Can't we have to pick one? And we're thinking about Fairhaven. We're thinking about Martinez School because mm-hmm. it's right there, you know, by the water. By that old power plant, you know, all the symbols and all the realities of uh, our vulnerability are right there at Martinez School. So we want to have a thing where the first part, raising awareness, information from experts; second part, listening to the people, right? Third part, workshops. What are what are a handful of things that we think we can actually do, and, and are there new? Ideas or new energies we can bring to it are there, and we're not trying to, trying to reinvent the wheel. The group is about catal- raising awareness, engaging, and catalyzing, not re- replicating what somebody else is doing. So, if we have an idea, we say, you know, uh, New Haven Climate Movement—that's that wonderful youth group, right? If there's something, they're going to be—they're going to be involved with us in this climathon well, is there something that comes out of the Climathon that, that they want to take and run with, right? Or New Haven has the Climate Emergency Task Force, mm-hmm. which was swarmed a couple of years ago, but really hasn't done much. Well, can we catalyze or rejuvenate that group or get them going on something? Can we hand something off to them? So these are the kind of things we want to do. And it's a... It's a wonderful group. It's all volunteers. There's no staff. We, we have our, through the Arts Council, we have nonprofit status. It's there. You know, and of course, you're on, you're on the board of the Arts Council. Thank you very much. You're
0: welcome. But that's much. a
1: wonderful thing. I gotta tell you, the Arts Council is wonderful in multiple dimensions. But, the, but that whole program of offering little groups, little nonprofit groups, the opportunity to piggyback on the four, 501c3 that they have, that you guys have. You know, otherwise it's almost impossible for groups, groups to get going. But with that vehicle that the uh, the Arts Council has, it's it is just an innovation factory, you know, social innovation factory that they create for the city. So we have that status and we're trying to raise some money if you know any rich people who are particularly interested, you know everybody. So you probably know a few rich people who are interested in in climate. Please <laughs> like send them send them my way or, or introduce me to them.
0: All right. So tell me what do we what is the takeaway for this book and who is this book really for? Is this can I can can I can I read this and and really get a sense that. I don't have to be a climate change scientist to understand it is this a well every man's kind of book
1: i i is it an every man's kind of book i think it's it's not it's not written for scientists or policy makers though i think they you know it was published by columbia university press you know it's so it's kind of a serious and it's, you know, science-backed kind of thing. But it's, it's really a story of a journey of a group of people. And, you know, it's I have in the book, it, tell, it kind of tells the story chronologically of how the people got together, the, how, you know, how they struggled, all this kind of stuff. Uh, it has profiles of about 10 people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All sorts of people of all kinds. Yeah, it's I mean, got, you've
0: got a... I saw the, the woman who was a Greek archaeologist.
1: Yes, we got a <laughs> Greek archaeologist. We have a, a Vietnamese uh, salmon grower who's who lives in Sweden. You know, we we have it's a bunch of interesting people from around the world. We've got a wonderful guy. One of my one of my favorite people in the group is a guy named uh, Gamele Sabande, and he's from uh, is it Mozambique? Anyway, he lives in he lives in uh, South Africa, and he is a technical uh, worker for the UN. And he his specialty is going into failed states in Africa and helping them get back on their feet. Mm. Uh, so a, a wonderful, you know, he's a guy who, as a child, heard in
0: Zimbabwean Zimbabwean, Zimbabwean. that's that's right, Zimbabwe.
1: Yeah, so he. He yeah i've got Mozambique and Zimbabwe confused, yeah, so he, as a child, herded livestock in a place where there were wild you know wild cats, so he appreciated nature and its the risks and how we could live in, in in harmony with nature on a very profound way and he's a he's a just a wonderful guy who Practices uh, a scientific domain called biomimicry. Have you ever heard of this? no biomimicry is the idea that there are we by studying nature and how nature solves problems we can apply some of those those techniques to our 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 human social problems and uh he, he brought in a guy recently to the group, one of his colleagues from South Africa, who said that uh, he was studying wild dogs, South African wild dogs, and how they communicate with each other about what they're going to do next. And he said, in the pack, there is an alpha dog, but the rest of the members of the group also have a say. And they vote. They actually vote by coughing. And, so, and I don't know if you ever had a dog, but sometimes if a dog wants to go outside, it kind of makes a coughing sound by the door. Mm. This is from Wild Dog Behavior. And he said that um, that they're applying the, the lessons they've learned about communica- group communication and group dynamics from wild dogs and applying them to the UN Security Council the U.S. is a wild dogs U.S. Security Council. And they said, uh, you know, in the Security Council, of course, there are a few c- countries that have the veto. So they're the alpha dogs. But then there are these other c- countries that come through, but they do have an impact. You know, if you can avoid the veto, if you have a, con- can build a consensus through this kind of coughing thing, the, the, the wild dogs say, vote when it's time to move to another spot, basically. Well, in UN Security Council, it's time to move to another idea, right? So that's biomimicry. So we can learn from nature, and we can... And and you don't get all dogmatic about it, so it's got to be exactly the way it runs in nature. Or you don't say nature is perfect, because nature can be pretty harsh, right? Mm -hmm. But you say that left to a natural state... Things reach a stasis, an accommodation, a balance, right they're thrown into imbalance by storms and by humans, right using the main things or by disease. you know so uh, we can learn from nature and and uh, you know I think things like people take lessons from uh, the mangroves. You know, all down southern United States, yeah. the Gulf. Is, these mangroves, uh, are the things that there's a lot of erosion along the coast from tides and surf and, and from human boats and stuff like this. But the mangroves have proven to be really powerful, uh, kind of holders. They hold the earth together. They, like, right, like that. So you look at the mangroves and you see what could we do? Around here, physically, to ho- to help with our uh, with our coasts, and I- I'll t- give you an example. Out at Sound at Sound School, they have a program at, which is called Oyster Reef Balls. Now, what they do is cast in concrete these structures that are ball shaped, and they have like holes in them, right? and the idea is that if you put these out uh in the shallows of of the sound they will do a bunch of things first off they will take the force of storms and of waves so that there's less erosion right the other thing they'll do is they create a habitat first for oysters because they do they do plant oysters there and then for every other kind of living thing, animal and vegetable. So they have those out there off, off City Point. Sounds cool. And they could, if we decided, we could we could do that, replicate that all along the coast. And uh, it would it would be healthier for the sound, it would it would help our shoreline. Uh to a certain extent, doesn't stop, it doesn't stop sea level rise, but it, it, it slows erosion. Hmm. So those reef balls are like the mangrove, right? They're holding it together.
0: Holding it together. Well, I'm so happy that you have this book. Um, I believe climate change is local, <laughs> it starts local. Yeah. And I'm glad that you are bringing that to us, so that we can understand how we can, at the local level, do something about um, how to uh, prepare ourselves here for yeah. that. What is going to be real is it, coming our way, as you said, a yeah. fireball.
1: So yeah, rolling the fireball rolling downhill. Uh, so I want to reach out to anybody who's listening, watching now, or watch this later when it's posted up on the on the independent website. Um, you know, we want people. We want, you know, people who are concerned, people who are interested, people who want to explore.
0: How do people gonna, find you?
1: Well, they go to our website, which is reimaginingnewhaven.org. Okay. And from there, you can find out about the organization, and you can find my email, but I'll also tell you, it's Steve Ham, S-T-E-V-E-H-A-M-M, 31 at gmail.com. And get involved in our group. We have, we we say we have three pillars. Science and expertise, community, and arts and artists. That those are the pillars of creating a better society. You know, when we talk about reimagining New Haven, it's not just around climate change. It's our city has tremendous energy, tremendous resources, you know people resources, ideas, wonderful relationships. And if we can bring it together and and people can come together and reimagine the city not just around around uh, climate change, but making a more resilient city, a more equitable city, a more just place, a place that is where life can be better. For more, for more people, and not such a struggle for so many people. That's that should be that's the goal of a city, I think, right? Sometimes cities just kind of drift along, right? Well, we we have so many smart, energetic, interesting people in our town. We can't drift along. We got to nope. take this. We got to grab this. New Haven is this, not a right? drifting
0: town. New Haven New is the, really an incubator for yeah, yeah, good things that could go on in a city. So yeah. Absolutely, Steve. I've enjoyed talking to you this morning. I appreciate you bringing your book and getting us all excited about uh, addressing global problems through local action. I like that.
1: Wonderful. I'll come visit you on your porch. Do I do I have to arrange it or do I just drop by some evening?
0: You just drop by some evening. Bring bring some libations or whatever. I will. I will hang out and be. I know
1: know, you. I think you like bourbon, don't you? I do. (laughs) Well, I'm from from Western Pennsylvania, shot and beer town, Pittsburgh. Oh, all right. So I'll have to bring some bourbon for you.
0: All right. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Thank you so much, Steve Hamm.
1: Very good. Always.
0: Always. Always. All right. Be cool out here. Yeah. Thank you, Harry Drones, for everything. And uh, I'll see you all tomorrow. I have Gary Gates on from uh, the Newhallville um, Corporation. To talk about the uh, 22 years of the, the basketball league that they've been doing. Um, so that'll be a good conversation. So I'll see y'all tomorrow. Thank you, Steve Ham. Everybody, the pivot addressing global problems through local action. All right, Harry, play us out. Feel <laughs> <laughs> free to log out.